everyone, and welcome. We have a truly spectacular show for you today. It's about healthcare, something that is so close to everybody's heart, and certainly for the past few years has been top of mind for the whole world. But we have two incredible, exceptional women awardees with us, women who are experts in the healthcare industry. With us today, we have Cecilia Aviles. She is the Chief Operations Executive for Sutter Health. It's a division of the Palo Alto Medical Foundation. And with her, we have Danette Andley. Danette is the Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer for 3M Healthcare Business Group. They are truly experts in their field. Please stay with us. It's going to be an incredible show. I'm Lorraine Siegel. I'm the founder, CEO, and chairman of the Exceptional Women Awardees Foundation. Our mission is to enable high-level, high-potential women, just like Danette and Cecilia, to rise to meet their dreams. Why did I start this foundation? Well, I never had a mentor early in my career as a lawyer and then as CEO of multiple companies, even as a board director. I never had a guide to show me the way. And I wanted to be sure that women who walk the road less traveled, like all three of us on the show have today, would always have a supportive group of women leaders around us who would help us reach our dreams. And that's exactly what we've done at the Exceptional Women Awardees Foundation. So it gives me great pleasure to bring two of the incredible ladies that I've spoken about to you, to you at this moment. Welcome, Danette and Cecilia. Thanks, Lorraine. Very excited to be here today. Yeah, so excited to be here. And I'm happy to have both of you here. And so I'm going to go straight to you, Cecilia, because you have an amazing background, a very interesting background for the healthcare industry in both healthcare and management. And so tell me, when you were a little girl, is this something that you dreamt about? That's a really good question, Lorraine. Um, what really drove my passion for healthcare is as a child, as young as first grade, my parents would take me out of school to go to doctor's appointments with my grandparents because they could not speak English and the doctors could not speak Spanish. So at that time, I knew that I wanted to be a bridge in healthcare. And that really led me into nursing, which later um, I wanted to have a larger impact, which led me into administration. So when you talk about uh, administration, what do you mean by that? I mean, uh, healthcare management, is that what you mean by administration? Yes, healthcare management. So I oversee operations for a very large healthcare group and thousands of physicians and thousands of patients. So day-to-day -day operations of, of delivering care to patients. Interesting, and we're gonna come back to that. It's very very specifically, the care that you've had to provide in the last few years has been something nobody could ever have imagined. So, Danette, did you start off thinking about healthcare as your profession, as, as your future? I was incredibly different than Cecilia. I knew I couldn't be a nurse or a doctor because I didn't like blood, but I ended up going into public relations uh, as my first career. And while I found the work incredibly interesting, it was not a good culture fit. I was working on a lot of consumer packaged goods products and there was just something missing. So I actually ended up taking an internship in marketing, working for a private hospital. And I didn't even know hospitals needed marketing. And then I started to realize I had the ability to help people make better health decisions, to help them find a physician, to help them decide when to use urgent care versus ER to be the one to put together free health clinics and screenings and focus on prevention. 
that became a huge purpose driver for me. So I learned very early on in my career that if you have purpose in your work, it feels a lot less like work. And from then on, I've committed to my entire career being within the healthcare space. It's so fabulous that you mentioned that word purpose because in healthcare, I think you've said this, uh, Cecilia, now prep for the show, it could be really said to be a calling. So Cecilia, going back to you for a moment, we, we were talking about the fact that many aspects of healthcare are pretty depressing. So did you consider this to be a calling and what took you out of the actual patient care into management? Why did you think that would be something you would want to do? No, that's a great question. I wanted to continue to have larger and larger impact. So being a bedside nurse was fantastic impact, but that was a one-to-one or two-to-one nurse-to-patient ratio. And I saw that there was an opportunity to have a larger impact in a community or in communities or globally. So that's really, again, that passion, that purpose, the impact, that advocacy for patients when they need it most. And that really is what led me from nursing to management because I wanted to have a greater impact on a systemic level. And that's actually why I switched into administration and that path, I went from nursing to, um, I got my MBA at Northwestern Business School and then came back into healthcare operations and administration. Very interesting. Okay, so Danette, now, you found your purpose. You knew that it was going to be healthcare. How did you make the jump to go into a healthcare company from that sort of PR marketing role that you had? Yeah, so I first took an internship working at the hospital in the marketing department, and that's where that passion started. But I quickly realized hospital administration wasn't going to be the path for me because I didn't have a clinical background. And if you are going to make a difference within the hospital, you need that background. And so I went and got my MBA from Washington University in St. Louis and used that as a transition point to say, I have all this amazing experience within the hospital. How can I bring that to a manufacturer? And so now that I work at 3M, I also get to experience the scale and resources we have being a large company that can develop innovative products, that can do clinical research on massive scale to really prove out the value of those products and see how it can really reduce infections or increase the healing rate for a patient and still really drive after that purpose on a global scale as we operate um, about 50% of our healthcare business outside the United States. and so. I've really been blessed to have that um, opportunity to skip working for a manufacturer and have that same healthcare impact. You know, both of you are a good advertisement for doing an MBA because it helped you transition um, into a different different area. So, Danet, what did the MBA do for you? For me, it gave me all of that. Um, PL knowledge. I, I was a marketer in my undergrad degree. And so it allowed me to really accelerate and take deeper economics and strategy courses and then really see the different cultures of the manufacturers and what was going on in consulting and who were the leading thinkers in the healthcare space that I wanted to align with. So it let me see the market from an entirely different perspective while building a lot of financial acumen that's actually allowed me to move 
from marketing into operational roles where I have the ability to run the P&L and see so much more of the business side. Love that, love that. And you, Cecilia, that obviously it, it added a layer of perspective. It's like you're looking at the same situation but with completely different eyes, right? Absolutely. And looking at different industries outside of healthcare to see what other industries are also, how they're solving our problems. Because we all have very similar problems, whether it's employees, um, supply chain issues. They're, they're similar, although we're in different industries. So learning from that and also learning networking and how important networking is. Um, just to be able to solve more issues and really deliver that impact to the patients and their experience. Yeah, there's no doubt that doing competitive analysis in different industries, it's you benchmark what they do best. And, you know, taking, for example, hospitality industry, Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, ladies and gentlemen, treating ladies and gentlemen with respect, to bring that into the healthcare industry, how wonderful that will be. And in concierge medicine, I think that's really happened. But let's go to the moment uh, that has changed all of our lives, and that was the, the arrival of COVID and the pandemic. So let's go to you, Cecilia, because you were on the front lines. Tell us what happened at, uh, at your, in your role, in your job, and in your community when COVID was diagnosed. I'm happy, happy to tell you, um, it was truly nothing that we had ever experienced before nothing that could prepare us for that moment when in California we were told by government to de-escalate care and it was only urgent and emergent care that we were able to see in person. So really pivoting and pivoting in several ways it was how do we see patients differently? How do we keep ourselves and our teammates safe and also the patients. So we learned new ways to deliver. So it was exciting and exhilarating at first. It truly was a startup experience. So we deployed telehealth in a matter of weeks when we thought it would take us years to do. We opened up MASH, if people remember the TV show MASH, outside clinics to see patients and then outside outdoor clinics to test patients. And then we lifted one of the first mass vaccination centers in California. So again, being able to lead teams and really harness their creativity to deliver care in new ways and change rapidly on several times in one day. And really now it brings us two plus years later to a place where our teams are burnt out. They're burnt out from delivering care. People are leaving healthcare at rates that we haven't seen before. So how do we continue as leaders to bring joy to our employees in order to build their resilience, continue to feed their resilience to stay in healthcare and deliver that exceptional care that patients deserve. Wow, that is a huge problem and not one easy to solve, that's for sure. 
happening in other industries, but I don't think anywhere to the extent that it's happening in healthcare. So, Danette, here you're in one of the world's leading companies in so many areas. How did this pandemic affect 3M and you in particular? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm listening to all of Cecilia's points thinking we were trying to be right alongside all of those providers because 3M is the leading provider of N95 respirators. And so from the critical first days where even our manufacturing was taken over in China by the government and by the US to make sure we were getting those respirators to frontline workers, it was the same. A huge energized sense of purpose that we had a call to serve our customers who work in those hospitals to keep them safe to keep patients safe. Uh, from there, it just never stopped, right? We started producing products that go into filtration for vaccines and pharmaceuticals that treat COVID, right? And we were working so hard on infection prevention and proper cleaning procedures. So from a manufacturing perspective, we had products that um, ran the gamut and had to make sure we were getting those into the right hands with the proper instructions for use so we could constantly change our procedures and protocol to meet the constantly changing guidelines and regulations. So it's incredibly meaningful work. And now what we're trying to do is partner alongside to say, how can we simplify our products so that they can be easier to use? If we don't have enough staff, how can maybe a lower staff person um, come in and fill in the gap? How can we create opportunities for care outside of the hospital uh, we have a leading wound care product and we were able to say you don't have to go back to the hospital post-surgery for your visit we can do that via telehealth or we can do that in an outpatient um, surgery setting and so those types of changes to the procedures um, are really changing how we're thinking about care and moving innovation forward and trying to find some silver lining and and again enable whatever we can to support the clinical staff that is truly exhausted Amazing. Remarkable. Both of you are just at the cutting edge of, of so many aspects of healthcare. I want to encourage our audience, please, to uh, put your questions in, put your comments in, let us know where you come from, and, and uh, we're so excited to answer your questions on the air, so please put them in for us. And of course, if we don't get to them, we'll make sure that uh, we'll answer them in LinkedIn or Facebook, where, wherever you're streaming the program. So, Denise, I want to go back to you for a moment because I know there are a lot of exciting things happening in healthcare, but there's also the same fatigue that Cecilia talked about. How does your company deal with that? How are you dealing with that? Um, and, and tell us what some of the new things are that are going on. Yeah, I think you have to go find where there's energy, right? If you're solving the same problem over and over and not making any progress, that's what's exhausting, right? The continuous waves of COVID. And so we have to continue to get better and continuously improve. But where the energy comes from is the amount of innovation happening. I think there's so many doomsday headlines of cost and the exhaustion and all of those are very real. But you can also find amazing uh, thought-provoking leaders in healthcare that are trying to push data portability. As consumers, we have more data access than we've ever had, and we're getting more educated about our own healthcare. And so I think there's a lot of startup companies right now that are thinking differently about how they can give consumers data portability, access to their health records, information about prevention through all sorts of 
wearable devices and information. And I think it's really causing us to reframe the hospital as the center of care. And that's exciting to think about the consumer driving care where it might go. Now we have a long way to go and incentives have to change, but to be able to develop digital care models, to be at the forefront of thinking about some of these innovations is where I find a lot of energy. And when we can continue to push care forward and always enable better, smarter, safer healthcare for those that provide it, that's really motivating and energizing. And it brings the purpose of improving lives front and center, the why that you show up to work every day because you can make a difference, you can improve someone's life. Amazing, amazing. You know, I've, I've always known 3M to be one of the most innovative companies in the world. And, and for decades, 3M has invested in small emerging companies to, to get access to a lot of this new technology that's being developed. So no wonder you're at the forefront uh, of uh, cutting edge uh, technology for healthcare. You know, going to you, Cecilia, for a moment here, um, the community, the Latino community, has been certainly very much affected, um, more than maybe some other communities. Tell us a little bit about your experience. No, that's true, particularly in the state of California. What we saw is the mortality in the infection rate of COVID for the Latin community, which is almost 50% of California, how impacted they were and really seeing how communication was going to that community and how we could effectively reach out and really help the community teach, give truthful information and help also vaccinate the community. It, it was underlying, but really brought forward the issues in societal care and how information and truthful information is given. So it, it has been interesting absolutely to see and live, particularly as a Latina. So yes, it, um, again, it was validating to what many already knew. Yeah, well, thank goodness you have a leadership position both in healthcare and in the state of California and you could contribute towards positive uh, reinforcement of good habits and also good information that's truthful. So thank you for that service. Uh, Denek, I know that you are a marketing whiz and although you, you really started out in operations and, and got your chops there, you are now in a very senior uh, position as a chief marketing officer in, in 3M and it's just an amazing place to be. Tell us what's changed in marketing since you've been at the forefront of it. Yeah, I think it goes back to that conversation about data. We have more data coming from so many disparate sources and marketing the ability to connect that data to truly get insights about what the customer is using, what products are working, what messages are resonating. When you put that together, you have a true competitive advantage and that's when you can scale big solutions out to the market in a global way. So I would say the biggest change for me is the amount of data that we have to sort through. I like to often say marketing isn't just the creative part. There's an art and a science to it. And the science is all data driven and really dependent upon um, marketers that like diving into all of those insights that come from the data and creating that competitive advantage. Fantastic. So I know we have questions out there and there are a bunch for each of you. So let's bring up at least one or two of them, uh, if not all of them, if we have time. Uh, the first one 
is, uh, oh, well, it was just a reminder to everybody to uh, to bring up their questions. But AJ from Los Angeles, that's where I am, AJ. Hi there. Danette, can you give an example? This is perfect. Follow up. Can you give an example of where data analytics made you change the direction of a sales campaign? And did the salespeople listen to you? Yes, absolutely. So um, we have one example where we were, I mean, we have so many examples because I insist that every campaign have data. But at this point, um, there's one where we were targeting surgeons to see if we could find them online. And we were trying to find what call to action they would respond to so that we could really go out there with two different messages. Do you want to review the clinical evidence or do you want to talk to a peer expert about the evidence? And we got data that showed they don't want to talk to a human like the rest of us. They want to go do the research on their own. And the results of that campaign, doing that A versus B testing, allowed us to maximize our dollar spend into the call to action that really drove the best results. And so this is how we're putting all of our marketing campaigns, a couple different options, a couple different channels where we put the information, and then seeing what works. From there, we have much more credibility with our field sales teams to say, this is a good lead because this is the behavior that they have shown, what they're interested in, and can make sure they have a meaningful conversation that the um, physician wants to have. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. And uh, AJ, thank you for the question. So uh, let's see if there's any more uh, questions. I know there are at least two or three out there. Oh, Sunny from Albany. This is for you, Cecilia. Uh, you've been on the front lines of COVID. I know we talked about it a little bit, but give us an example of something that was just so out of the box in terms of thinking that you could never have imagined doing that happened during COVID. Wow, there's so many, <laughs> so many to tell from. Um, let's talk about our vaccination efforts because that was very exciting to say, okay, how do we deliver vaccines to thousands of people patients. People are excited, want to, or fearful of getting the vaccine where we knew that this would help people's lives. So really thinking creatively and out of the box and leading teams to say, you know, how many vaccines could we do a day? What could that look like? What would our cadence be? What hours of operations? And then working with supply chain and IT and HR, also the community to locate space and deliver care in ways we never knew we could, had never been asked to do, but yet rise to it. And in addition, also deliver pop-ups where our community needed us most. We talked about the Latino community, but really how could we bring also vaccinations into the communities that possibly didn't have ways to get to mass vaccination clinics. So again, thinking of just delivering that care in ways that our population needed, in the times they needed, um, thinking in account to everything, you know, communities that work and can't get out of work um, Monday through Friday during an eight to five, nine to five job but needed to be seen in the evening or during the weekends or possibly didn't have the transportation. So how could we make it into those communities to help vaccinate? So that was one of many examples. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. We have another question that just came in. Let's put that one up. That's from Susan Holiday. Hi there, Susan, and thank you. How do you think the experience of COVID has permanently changed how healthcare is delivered? So I think, Cecilia, that's for you, but I'd love to hear Danette's point of view as well. 
You know, one of the things that we have seen and what I personally believe is now part of the healthcare toolkit is telehealth. So prior to that, telehealth would, had not been widely adopted in healthcare, but because of COVID, it is something that really ramped up. And now we continue to offer telehealth as a way patients can be seen. And so I really believe that that is an example of how healthcare has changed in ways of its delivery. And I believe that the adoption will continue to increase for telehealth. Yeah, it's sort of like hybrid work, you know, you, you can do a lot of things remotely. What about you, Danette? How do yeah, you I absolutely echo what Cecilia said and would add probably that care moving outside the hospital, right? When, when hospitals have COVID surges, they have to shut down some procedures because they don't have enough staff, right? They have to search for those COVID patients. And so that has really caused people to think differently, to delay care, to increase the severity when they do seek care. And so these types of models are really pushing us to think differently about prevention and think differently about where care is delivered. And so that's where I get excited about the innovation that's happening in these new models to address the social drivers of health that you've heard Cecilia talk about, to get in these underserved communities and shine a light on the fact that we're not serving everyone equally and we have to think differently about the access that we provide. And so I do think there is um, a new thinking going into the social drivers of health and access, whether that be for women's health, mental health, or care outside the hospital and consumer prevention, that's really reshaping how we think about care moving forward. Okay, I, I love that, Danette. And uh, the thing that I think is also very interesting is the aging demographic of, of the American population, which is going to require more healthcare. We have another question. Let's put that up and uh, and see. Ingrid, uh, thanks so much, Ingrid from Atlanta. Did your employees come up with innovative ways to develop new products, Danette, or use PPE to help keep patients and staff safer, Cecilia? So, Danette, why don't you go first on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think every day we were trying to reinvent because this is a moment where you say, what does marketing mean and what do our customers want to hear from us? Right? They were trying to answer big questions like, how does it transmit? Do we need to clean? And so we were repurposing some of our um, consumer cleaning products into the hospital because we have industrial cleaning products and saying, hey, we can clean and kill COVID and prove and test that out and actually show our reliability. Um, in a hospital setting, we were trying to do wayfinding, right? And put the stickers down on floors. We make those too that start to say six feet distance. We all saw those in airports and across um, different locations. We really try to um, come up with innovative ways to use the PPE when we were needed, needing to conserve it and find reusable PPE that a hospital could purchase more cost effectively when we didn't have access to N95s. We actually partner, partnered with Ford and Cummings to turn over the details on how to manufacture those products so that we could get more into the market and embarked on partnerships like we never had in the past, um, created things like single use stethoscopes so that we know they're not cleaning them properly. You can use it once and then you can throw it away. And so we know that was a temporary product for a very specific need and we wanna reduce waste overall for our environmental footprint and get back to our high quality stethoscopes. But that's how we were really thinking in a very agile way about the immediate need that we needed to address. You make me excited, Danette. It's fantastic, quite really incredible. Cecilia, what about your answer? Oh yeah, and I wanna thank Ingrid for asking this question. Everything that Danette said, 
And if we go back, and it seems like lifetimes ago, but really if we go back to when this first started, there the N95s weren't available at scale. There was um, times where gloves were not available. And again, those were all supply chain issues. And so in terms of innovation, but also what we were learning about the disease and its transmittability. So everything Danette um, stated, and in addition, the creativity of our staff. So one example, again, it was about keeping ourselves safe, our teammates safe, the patients safe, where we would learn that, okay, we'll have one person seeing the patient. So we would use one set of PPE and we would make sure that we had a, um, a second a second employee, a second nurse, would double check that the primary person's PPE was all on correctly. So that way we wouldn't be wasteful of products. But yes, um, absolutely. Those are some of the, the ways that we were able to properly allocate for our PPE. Amazing. You know, we've got other questions. We're gonna answer them on the website, but on, the, uh, on LinkedIn. Because uh, I want to ask a couple of personal questions before we have to end our show. This is so fabulous, ladies. Thank you so much. Uh, both of you are moms, and both of you have uh, multiple children. So, uh, Cecilia, tell us a little bit how being a single mother and raising two beautiful girls during this past two years has been for you. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, let me take a deep breath there. It has been... Um, it's been a journey and being a mom is absolutely been a journey. And during this time, it, um, you know, at times it could have, it was overwhelming, but really leaning into your network, your resources. And by resources, I also mean your family or your community to help you um, with your care. Cause there was times that we were working 18 hour days, seven days a week, for months um, and really being, you know, who were my friends, you know, who are my neighbors, who the schools. And at that point, our children were online learning. So really it was a difficult balancing act, um, you know, resources, you know, how, you know, nannies or babysitters, I mean, that's very expensive. So really how do you find others in your network or create a network to be able to support each other. That was very, um, it was a challenging time, I think, for all of us, and it continues to be. Yeah, no doubt, Bennett. I know you, you have uh, children who are divine and also have had some allergy issues. So how did you manage with all of this over the past few years? Yeah, so I do have two kids um, that have really severe food allergies. One was allergic to over 15 foods and we had multiple trips to the emergency room and actually needed to seek care during uh, COVID and uh, trying to travel back and forth to his physician that is in California and we're based in Minnesota and deal with all of that stress of travel plus seeing medical practitioners, making sure we had all of our COVID tests to keep everyone safe. But um, we sought treatment uh, for his food allergies because his situation was so severe, he would not grow out of them. He would not have an opportunity to avoid the food because there were so many foods he couldn't eat and there were so many accidental exposures. And so this treatment program um, is a desensitization program that allowed him um, to treat 
and go into remission for 13 of the 15 food groups that he's allergic to. And so we continue his care starting again in August. We've been on a three-year journey um, since he's three years old. The allergies presented at six months old. And so it's been life-changing and truly shows the power of what a mom will do when she needs to find a solution for her kid. And, and I just show appreciation for Cecilia and all of the people that continue to provide care and those essential workers because we took full advantage of that and needed what was deemed elective, but it was actually essential for my son's life. And to see them taking those risks and keeping themselves safe gave us peace of mind that we could continue the really critical treatment my son needed. Well, you know, the audience who's watching, I'm sure you agree with me, these are truly exceptional women, leaders, mothers, family members, community members, and also service providers to the industry that keeps us all healthy. So. Danette and Cecilia, I am so grateful to you for being part of BWA. I'm grateful to you for your service to our communities, and I congratulate you on your expertise. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Lorraine, for having us on. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Great. Well, uh, that was such an, a moving show, and I am so glad that you were with us, and, I, and you can certainly watch this again. It's going to become a podcast. Uh, you can go to Apple and Spotify and find it again on our YouTube channel as well. I do want to leave you with one question, though, which is going to come up on the screen and also my email that you can uh, you can answer it. It's uh, have you delayed any healthcare procedures over the past two years? And uh, there it is now. Uh, that would be interesting for us to know. And I know a lot of folks have written about this, and uh, we'll certainly respond to you if you email me. Well, this is not the only show. As you know, we always promote our next show, which is going to be equally spectacular. We are going to feature a thought leader. Her name is Marjorie Krauss, and she is the founder and executive chairman of APCO Worldwide. I am so honored to serve on APCO's International Advisory Board. Marjorie has offices in over 37 countries. She is truly a thought leader in what she does in crisis communications. And I know that you will learn a lot from her because I learn so much from her every time we speak. So please join us for that show. And again, uh, do go on to uh, our YouTube channel. And if you have any comments, just let me know if you have any uh, ideas for thought leaders that you'd like us to feature on our show. Let me know that as well. It was great having you with us. Thank you so much. Have a great week, everyone. Bye now.